Hello and welcome to Lisa Express Podcast. My name is Elizabeth Akunide and I am your sexual healer. On this particular series, we've been discussing sexual myths and errors. These are limitations and obstacles that society has agreed with over a long period of time that is now affecting our relationships. And so today we will be diving into the topic, circumcision corpse female promiscuity. Circumcision curbs female promiscuity. When we talk about circumcision, we're talking about removing the hood of the penis to allow it breathe fresh air to make sure it doesn't get contaminated. And of course, for religious and spiritual reasons. But when it comes to the female body, the way the penis is is in the way the vagina is. And so when we circumcise a woman, we are actually not circumcising her the way we circumcise a man. When you circumcise a man, there are health benefits. Health benefits like he his penis being saved from hoarding and keeping bacteria and having an environment that is conducive for HIV, for virus. But when you do the same thing to a woman, there is no medical benefit for circumcision. When you circumcise a man, there is a medical benefit. For a woman, there is no medical benefit. When a man is turned on, if you don't circumcise him, his penis hood is going to give way for his penis to step out and do what he needs to do. And then when he's no longer stimulated, the hood returns. However, when you circumcise him, he's just in the open you can see his penis at every given point but for the woman when you circumcise her it's not like you take away a hood and leave the actual thing you don't leave anything whatever you take away from the female genitalia takes away something vital to her sex organs and according to the united nations this is called female genital mutilation and there are different kinds of female genital mutilations there are parts and some of those parts even happen to have a b and c that's what i'm going to be reading from the world health organization um so the part one type of Female genital mutilation is the partial or total removal of the clitoral glands. We just had an episode where we spoke about clits. So just scroll after this podcast or listen to three episodes below. You will find glands and clits. So you'll be able to understand what a clit is, right? So the man's penis hood covers his gland, but the female part, which is the clits, doesn't cover anything. The cleat is just the cleat. So if you cut the cleat, you cut the cleat. There's nothing remaining. All right. So part one is the partial or total removal of the clitoral glands. The clitoral glands has the prepuce or the clitoral hood, just a little covering on the cleat, right? And then the actual clitoris. So the type 1A would remove the prepuce, which is the clitoral hood. And then the type 1B will remove the actual clitoral gland with the prepuce or the clitoral hood. The prepuce is what's also called the clitoral hood. And then the type 2 is the partial or total removal of the clitoral glands and the labia minora. The labia minora is the inner fold of the vulva. Now, the type 2 can remove the labia majora as well. The labia majora is the outer fold of the skin of the vulva. Remember the last time I was talking about how women have different kinds of vulvas and labias and how some women's clits stick out of your vulva and how some other women are going to do surgeries to have the baby vulva, right? Um, so this is everything that I've been tampered with. With the type 2A is the removal of the labia minora only. With the type 2B is the partial or total removal of of the clitoral glands and the labia minora. Remember, the type 1A will remove the prepuce. The type 1B will remove the gland and the prepuce. The type 2A will remove only the labia minora and leave the cleat. But the type 2B will remove the cleat, the hood of the cleat, and the labia minora. And the type 2C will remove 
partially or totally remove the clitoral gland, the labia minora, and the labia majora. And if you're tampering with the clit, because the clit is not such a large organ in itself, it's not such a large place in itself, and the clitoral hood, which is the prepuce, is not so large in itself, you can actually hurt both of them. And so in the process of trying out type 2C, which is removing partially or totally the clitoral gland, the labia minora, and the majora, you just might end up damaging the prepuce because there's not a lot of flesh for it to hang on. And then we have the type 3, which is called infibulation. Another way for type 3 to be called is infibulation. Infibulation is the narrowing of the vaginal opening with the creation of a covering seal. This seal is created by cutting and repositioning the labia minora or the majora. The covering of the vaginal opening is done with or without the removal of the clitoral prepuce, which is the type 1. Yeah. Now with type 3, there are two types. You can remove, it is the removal and repositioning of the labia minora or it can be type 3B, which is the removal and repositioning of labia majora, which means here there is teaching, this teach the vagina opening. One time I had read um, a story of a woman who said in their place, they believe they have to stitch you and they believe that a strong man will use his penis to rip you open. If he cannot rip you open with his stitches, then he's not a strong man. And it's not like you're on anesthetic that you you're on um, medication or anything, you are going to have to be awake when this is happening. Just trying to deal with hymen. Hymen, where the person is not stimulated, is painful enough and there is enough bleeding and contraction of the vaginal walls. I don't want to imagine what these women have to go through when they are stitched with needle or however they get stitched. And then this man has to break through and I'm thinking this is culture. And so it's important that we can inform people, those of us who are educated enough to know what these things are, that we can educate people. And so if you're someone who is also educated and you're listening to this but you never understood the implication of these things, I need you to understand the implications so that you can carry this new you can become a change agent and save women from this kind of problems. And then there is the type 4. The type 4 is the de-infibulation, which is any other harmful procedure to the female genitalia for non-medical purposes. Some people think if a doctor circumcises a woman and does the FGM that it is safer. No, it is not safer. That a doctor did it doesn't make it approved, right? So this could be pricking, piercing, incision, scraping, and cauterization. The infibulation refers to the practice of cutting open the sealed vaginal open of a woman who has been infibulated in type 3. So they've already stitched her and then in type 4 they come and loosening and this can be really painful. So they de-infibulate women when they are about to have sex or when they are about to um, give birth. So in the culture of the woman where the man has to rip her open, the de-infibulation is not even done correctly. He has to rip it open. I don't even want to know. The, the term, I think the word rip I'm using is even making me uncomfortable. Now, the type 4 de-infibulation is usually done to allow sexual intercourse or to facilitate childbirth and is often necessary for improving the woman's health and well-being. So in a situation where the woman wasn't caught maybe she was lucky not to have been caught and all they did was teach her if they can get her to the hospital to be de-infibulated it's going to help with her health and her well-being despite the health risk some women undergo a narrowing of their vaginal opening after being de-infibulated at the time of childbirth meaning that they may undergo a series of repeated infibulations and de-infibulations throughout the life course so they stitch them normally then they losing the stitch before they give birth then they stitch them back after giving birth and that's a lot of stitching and closing going on. And mind you, the vagina is not such a large place. And most times, most times when you hear the reason why women are infibrillated, 
you hear things like um, I was reading the the World Health Organization compilation on the topic, and there were cultural reasons. And I remember one of the interesting cultural reasons I read is that if they do not teach the woman that when she begins to have sex, that the child will fall out of her. And I'm thinking, how can the child fall out? I mean, there is the cervix, and then there is the even the cervix doesn't open until there is a certain process beyond just the nine months, the labor, the contraction, all of that before we get to the part where she gives birth. So again, that is a misinformation and lack of education taking place in this particular scenario. In other scenarios, it is the fact that it is going to stop women from being promiscuous. That if you circumcise a woman, of course, it's going to stop her from having sexual urges because now you've taken away her clit that is having all her nerve endings that is supposed to send signal and say, oh, we're getting stimulated. We're supposed to have sex. We haven't had sex this long. Or, or maybe it's around her ovulation and um, the fabric of her underwear is touching her clit and she's turned on. And um, you're taking away all of that opportunity to be turned on biologically away from her. Of course. So it's going to reduce her sexual urge. It's going to reduce her desire to have sex. If you're tampering with a woman in that way, you're not just tampering with her mind because now she's seeing herself and she's thinking, I'm incomplete. She doesn't know what's taken away from her because most women are circumcised as girls. They don't know what's taken away from them, but they know whatever it is that it is wrong. Most of these girls cry, not even during the actual process. They start crying before because you just know something is wrong. What they're about to do to you doesn't feel right, right? And so you go out feeling incomplete and you will be amazed at the number of women you know on the streets who are actually circumcised. When I saw the statistics and I saw 200 million and this statistic was about four years ago, three, four years ago. I'm afraid to check that number right now. I'm considering the number of women in the world and I'm thinking that means one in every five women I meet is circumcised at different points for cultural reasons, for religious reasons, for reasons on promiscuity. And I'm thinking, haven't we culturally conditioned the woman not to even want sex? Because when we talk about sexual pleasure, a lot of time people talk about a man and how, yeah, I agree that a man gets an erect penis between five to ten times a day for even most times for no sexual reasons even and then the fact that when he's ejaculating he's releasing millions of sperm cells at the same time yeah so there is that possibility that a man has appetite for sex but then when we look at the strength and the longevity of a woman's sexual appetite when she's in the mood right she has the energy and the capacity to go multiple times so perhaps is this really a thing of promiscuity or is there a possibility that there was the fear of not being able to satisfy the woman and so in an attempt to curb her desires, these things were designed. Is this a result of a patriarchal society? And of course, women have been brought on board. And so your ancestors, your grandma has gone through it and your mother has gone through it. Of course, they're going to want you to go through it, not because they are wicked, but because they've convinced themselves that you needed to be a good wife or you needed to be a good mom. They're trying to preserve their grandchild and stuff like that. And so women are pushing these ideologies. And so it's important that we can break the myth that circumcision stops a woman from being promiscuous. Actually, it doesn't. What it does is that it breaks the woman. Yeah, it doesn't curb her. It breaks her. It breaks her soul. It breaks It breaks her desire. It breaks, it breaks her person. It biologically even breaks her. Some of these girls find it difficult to urinate 
after some of these operations are done, after some of these local surgeries are done, they can't urinate. Urinating is painful. They can't even have sex. Even when they are legally married, sex is really painful, is really uncomfortable. It's a lot of things. And even if they decide to say, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and give sex the best shot, they still limited because we've tampered with them. What we're doing is simply breaking them. We're using their sexual organ. We're using their genital as a weapon fashioned within them. It's like when we use sex as a weapon. I think this was a teaching I did like three years, three years back, two, three years back. I was talking about sex as a weapon of war, where we break war victims by raping them. We rape the women in front of the men to tell the men that you don't have the power to save the women you love. And we rape the women in front of the men to say to the women that you are powerless and we've taken charge of you. And then we rape them to say that even if we give you back your land, you will never forget us because the damage of our actions will remain in your body for life. And so sex is a weapon of war at the same time, right? That's the same thing we do to women when we circumcise them. It's the silly ideology that a woman is proud and if I rape her, I will break her and I will make her humble. I'm going to shut her up. Well, you necessarily didn't make her humble. What you simply did was steal her voice because you know you don't have the nerve to deal with her roar. That's the same thing that happens when we circumcise women. Is that we're saying, oh, we can't sexually satisfy you. I don't have the nerve to sexually satisfy you. I don't think I'm ready to come up and meet you where you are sexually. I don't think I have the agility and the body to handle you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut you into size so that you can fit into the limits that I have. Right? That is what we've done to women over the years. While many of it is driven by ignorance, there is a part of it that is driven by pride. And so I have full-grown adults, men, educated men who still advocate for female circumstances and this is an episode that is warning and teaching and saying to you that this is an inaccurate practice. It is not medical. The World Health Organization will say to you that even if a doctor conducts it, it doesn't make it legal. It is inaccurate. It should not be done. A woman should not be caught because it has no medical benefits. Instead, it takes away from her and her partner. A woman who has been caught does not have the same boldness that she's supposed to have. She lives life like a victim. Who do you think a victim is? Do you think a victim victim is going to go ahead and raise a victim. A victim feels defeated. A victim feels like they don't qualify, like they are not enough. And they transfer that same mindset to their kids. And so what's happening is that we are raising children who are raised by mothers who feel inadequate. And they transfer their inadequacy and transfer their low self-esteem and transfer their trauma to their kids. Go listen to the episode on how trauma affects your parenting style. We traumatize our women and we think we can have great kids. No, we won't. And if we keep having kids who are not raised by proud moms, who are not raised by women who are confident in themselves, who are not raised by families that love and trust themselves and have relational bonds, over a period of time, we're going to have a community that is literally full of people who live like cowards because their pride has been taken from their heart. I hope this episode has been enough warning and enough teaching. If you have questions, all you need to do is go to www.lizaexpress.com and ask us your questions anonymously and we will respond on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Search for Lisa Express Consult or Aliza Express C. And for people who are already victims of FGM, I promise you, you are a priority on our mind. We're working on a program to help you achieve sexual pleasure 
Because FGM is trauma. FGM is really dramatic. It's trauma that never leaves you. It's trauma that never leaves your mind. It never leaves your body. You have a physical token for the trauma. And so what we're doing is we're trying to work around biological programs and psychological programs that can help you experience sexual pleasure regardless of what you've been through. It might not happen this year. It might not happen in the next six months. But when it does, I promise you it is going to be mind-blowing and your sex life is going to be grateful that we figured this thing out okay until next week i am excited as we close this series on sexual myth and errors bye